What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot button internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Um, this is Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking to someone you've probably seen a lot on TV lately. His name is Malcolm Nance, and he is the author of The Plot to Hack America, how Putin cyber spies and WikiLeaks tried to steal the 2016 election. And um, we have information about Malcolm in the book and our show notes, as well as links to a, a related show we did a while back on Hamilton 68 and links to a timeline on the uh, whole Russian hacking situation. So, Malcolm, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure to be here. And um, if, if I can just put this in context, because people see you on MSNBC and, and they may not have been familiar with who you were before this kind of broke on the scene, but you have um, spent your most of your career in the military. In fact, you come from a military family. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Military family, actually a very old military family. We've had uh, someone in the armed forces, father and son, uh, since 1864. <laughs> so we have a, a combined 120 years of, of experience in the Army. Um, but myself, I spent 20 years in naval intelligence, cryptologic intelligence. I, was, I started as a cryptologic uh, code breaker and foreign language specialist and uh, branched out from there. And you're someone who's, who's served in combat. And in, in a very number of capacities, you've been in Beirut, you've been in a number of places, and also at one point where was a, a, a you referred to yourself as a Colin Powell Republican. Well, yeah, uh, you know, 
this is interesting because most people who join the military, you know, it's sort of a, you know, you get a lot of groupthink going on. And the first thing you start thinking is, you know, I really want a war. <laughs> so, you know, when you're a young troop or a young sailor, you know, you, you tend to think a little more conservatively because those are the people who are talking about getting you into combat. And, uh, you know, but for a long time, I didn't pay a lot of attention to, to politics because I was neck deep in actual geopolitics. I mean, there were many, many incidents uh, that I was involved in, intelligence collection operations, uh, combat operations, that I didn't understand the geopolitical ramifications of them until I was much older. I was just enjoying what we call bombs, guns, and helicopter rides. And that is, you know, I grew a little older. When you're in the military, you tend to be a little more conservative because you have that group think that you want to be around the party that's going to put you into combat. And, you know, I know a lot of young troops and sailors that I worked with who just kept thinking, you know, this is what we're supposed to be. I actually recall at one point um, when I was registering to vote while I was in the military, somebody said, oh, you're a Republican. And so I did have that sort of conservative bent. But as time went on, it was pretty clear that I was uh, socially liberal and uh, only conservative in defense. And the reason why I mentioned this is because you know, since you, 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 people see you on MSNBC and you're raising this issue about the plot to hack America, I, I think there might be a tendency to dismiss you as just being a partisan person. But you, you come at this from, this isn't a partisan story you're telling at all. No, as a matter of fact, the, the book itself is not a, uh, you know, a book about the Trump campaign at all. It's actually an intelligence analysis of Russians' operation, Russians' operations. I'm sorry, that and how they organized, collected information, brought together a management team, and decided to influence the American elections. And by doing that, they at some point are going to have to choose a candidate, and they chose Donald Trump. And this is nonpartisan. It's a nonpartisan issue, and it's exactly why my book, which was written. Uh, between August of 2016 and September of 2016, just in five weeks, is identical to the CIA's analysis, which they issued on the exact same day, September 23rd. Uh, they, they turned their report into the president because it is nonpartisan. It is about how we were attacked by a foreign power. Well, it is interesting. It's almost like you got a gold star because the... the um the, the joint in analysis of what, what happened that was released in January by, you know, by the intelligence community said, quote, we assess with high confidence that Russian President Vladimir Putin had ordered an influence campaign in 2016 aimed at the, at the U.S. election and the consistent goals of which were to undermine public faith in the democratic process, denigrate Secretary Clinton and harm her electability and potential president's presidency. And we further assess Putin and the Russian government developed a clear preference for President-elect Trump. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely spot on. And, you know, people ask me all the time, they say, well, how did you get to those exact same, you know, conclusions? And how did you manage to do it, you know, five, six weeks before the U.S. election? And it's simple. I'm not a journalist. I'm like the people that wrote those reports, that wrote that analysis for the, for the intelligence community. I'm an intelligence officer. And we see things differently. We get our sources of information differently. You know, to be honest, they're, they're either from covert, clandestine, or, or, or top secret collection of information. Simply how we interpret things. 
most intelligence analysis starts off with a tool that you don't often see uh, in news media, which is common sense. You know, it has to actually don't say that people catch on, (laughs) (laughs) you know, news media is driven by their sources and they have to have two sources to validate everything. And then they don't extrapolate and draw conclusions. They just report information as it is. Anything else other than that is opinion. Um, The intelligence community, we don't do that. What we do is we get empirical data. We put it in order. We cross-reference it with known information and operations, uh, you know, from the from the past, you know, in context of intelligence, you know, and any previous precedences that have been set in the exact same type of operation, and then we cross-reference that with common sense, and um, in the end, what we do is we start drawing conclusions, and we have to show those conclusions must fit within the framework of who your opposition is. And so for this type of operation, is that what the CIA and, and, and F, uh, NSA called Operation Grizzly Step, which in my book, I had, the, the only difference between my report and the CIA report is they called it Grizzly Step. I called it Operation Lucky Seven. There it is. Those are the only two differences. <laughs> but you notice we both came up with code names. <laughs> so, that, I think that goes with the territory, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's just the nature of our work. The first thing you do is, we identify a foreign intelligence operation, we give it a code name. So, you know, the way we view information is nonpartisan. It is what it is. And some people who say, oh, well, you're a flaming liberal. It's like, no, I'm not a flaming liberal. What I am is I'm a flaming patriot. And, you know, I don't care if this was, if this was Democrats, I don't care if it was independents, and I don't care if it's Republicans. This is clearly an operation that was carried out by a foreign power. It was done to the benefit of one candidate. And now the big question that's been left open is, was there a measure of, of collusion, which is a word that I don't like to use. I actually use, like to use the legal term. Was there conspiracy with a foreign government product that they were producing and, and you know, the, the propaganda product and distributed in a targeted manner that would benefit your candidate. And that's the important point here is that we were talking about from you're talking about from the view of a patriot that our our system our government our our election system was compromised in 2016 and our fiercest adversary. Right. And you would well, think actually, go ahead. Well, in fact the nation was a Hacked. And what they targeted with their, you know, political propaganda cruise missiles was how we vote and run free and fair elections in this, you know, democracy that we have. They deliberately chose to intervene at a, at a, at a, at a level that had never been seen before in the history of the United States. But they also assessed that they could get away with it because one party was willing to overlook all of this to the detriment of the entire American electoral process. And, and that's the amazing thing, because I, I can only imagine what the result would have been had this happened in 2008 to the benefit of President Obama, um, or then Senator Obama. And you know, I, I think the, the firing squad would have been ordered uh, right away. 
it, it, it's just, it's mind boggling. Well, I mean, I, I've said this before, you know, 10 years ago, any one of these accusations that was levied over the last year would have been considered treason, not legally treason, but you can be sure that the House and the Senate Intelligence Committees, the Judiciary Committee, they would be throwing the word treason around rather loosely. <laughs> and oh, definitely. now what we have, yeah, well, well, it's not legally treason. Even if you were to cooperate with Russian intelligence, some of these violate the Espionage Act uh, and uh, federal, you know, um, federal um, election, election laws, act. Yeah. Right. But treason requires an act of war. It requires you to be in conflict with the nation that you're with, and you have to willfully join with that party and have more than two witnesses, right? We haven't had that since the Rosenbergs, and they can't even sentence you to death anymore, I believe. But what we sure have here that. is, we, <laughs> yeah, well, what we have now is we have a circumstance where individuals are now under investigation for having betrayed the nation by cooperating with a foreign power and by extension, its intelligence agencies. And that is where everything that I wrote about stems from. Some point we were informed by one of our sister intelligence agencies that American citizens were in direct and repeated communications with known Russian intelligence agents. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm. And, and we're back and we're talking with Malcolm Nance on the plot to hack America, how Putin, cyber spies, and WikiLeaks tried to steal the 2016 election. There's several important things about your book and, and, and how it has unfolded in post-publication and, and with this investigation. One, this happened and 
to this date, you know, the, the, the president of the United States refuses to acknowledge this happened. Two, it, it's going to happen again unless we do something to make sure it doesn't happen. And list for me all the things this, this administration has done to make sure that doesn't happen again. And zero. Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, President Trump himself says that all of this is a hoax. Now, this is it's, it's one thing to say that you don't believe something. It's another thing to say that your entire intelligence community is completely fantasizing with all of the evidence that they have. And by the way, I want to point something out to your listeners. Intelligence is not evidence. Uh, and I believe Director John Brennan made this statement that he's not in the evidence business. He's in right. the intelligence business. Intelligence doesn't become evidence until it is turned over and validated by the Justice Department. Then it becomes evidence. So right now we know when I wrote that book, which was a year, what, almost a year and two months ago, there was a lot of intelligence. There were rumors that, you know, again, that there were phone calls and, and other information uh, that we had known from while monitoring known Russian intelligence assets that American citizens were in cooperation with them to, to help engineer the election until that was handed over the Comey investigation. It was not evidence. And we're at the point now where it is transitioning into a criminal prosecution or criminal investigation. And you will find that at some point there is going to be a bridge between Russia and that campaign. And every day that information is coming out. Donald Trump does not believe a word of it. And it's like, it's like bringing a president to the United States. That's a 9-11 truther. It's right. just going to harm us again. And it's, it's actually an anathema to everything we stand for. And it's one thing, I think, for Trump to take that position because he has this whole mindset that it's challenging his legitimacy but for the congressional Republicans to not necessarily take it seriously, where it seems that the investigation in the Senate has devolved into two separate investigations, and um, and then in the House you have, you know, one uh, discredited House member trying to just undermine the investigation entirely, and with with those facts, that's just amazing. Well, you know, we've moved to a post. Part, you know, a, 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 a post-patriotic political party system. And I'm sorry, it's all on one side. And I'm speaking as a former Republican, okay? Again, you know, the reason I'm a Colin Powell Republican is because I believe in a strong national defense, but I also believed in honor, integrity, and ensuring that the nation was defended on all levels. And right now, that's called flaming liberal. Right, <laughs> you know? yeah. Sadly, to be yeah. anything else, I would have to be part of the bandwagon to where I will not question what happened. I will not question the legitimacy of this election. I personally don't believe that the election was hacked. I wrote about that in the book. There is no evidence of that right now. It does need to be investigated. But the nation was attacked. And it was clear and obvious to me. And I was the first person in the entirety of U.S. news media to go on national TV and breathlessly state the United States has been attacked in a massive cyber warfare operation designed 
to undermine the electoral process as it has existed for 240 years in the United States. And still, you know, everything that I've said since July 23rd uh, on that date has been validated again and again, because it's a patently obvious intelligence operation, which anybody in my, my career field would, would, would have recognized as an old school KGB, uh, KGB style political warfare, propaganda warfare op being run by the new agency, the FSB. Now, you state earlier in your book, and I think it's in the preface, that um, you quote Ian Fleming, um, once is happenstance, twice is coincidence, three times is enemy action. And then you even have your own corollary to that. Coincidence takes a lot of planning. So yeah. there are a here that are unexplained. You know, the timing of the release of the information, for example, and you know, releasing it on the Hillary email dump on the eve of the Democratic Convention. Um, the um, the fact that there were all these people in the Trump campaign that had contacts with the Russian government or Russian operatives. The fact right. that there are all these people in the Trump administration who somehow had suffered memory loss and ended up being caught lying or what's the uh, Al Haig thing? Verbal inexactitudes <laughs> about their you know, their connections to Russia or meetings with Russia. And and then you have an administration that if if she were alive, it would have insulted Mother Teresa by now, that has yet to say anything bad about Vladimir Putin and was statutory obligated to pr provide a list of actions to take pursuant to Russian sanctions legislation three weeks ago and is yet to right. do so. Um, you know, there's a lot to this. And, and going back to that old Ian Fleming quote, you know, once happenstance, twice coincidence, three times enemy action, that, that's overtaken by events. With regards to this campaign, everything is an incredible coincidence. And, you know, what I call Nance's Law uh, of intelligence kismet <laughs> is coincidence <laughs> takes a lot of planning. And, and this is why I could easily write this up so fast. To me, when I saw the, the, the DNC hacking operation, Gucci for 2.0, the lead up to the Republican committee, getting rid of the platform point on the Ukraine, you know, and all of the WikiLeaks material being released extremely early, precisely enough to split the Democratic Party the morning of the first day of the convention. That is an intelligence operation. There's just way too much coincidence. Uh, and then from that day on, every day, there was some information that the campaign knew about it, was helping coordinate it. And, you know, over this last year, we've seen this massive chain of coincidences, which show, if you use Nance's law correctly, shows a planning chain a cycle of, of, of operations, all of which is beautifully fused together. There is no level of coincidence. This isn't chaos theory, right? <laughs> you know, a guy puts out a tweet in St. Petersburg and Donald Trump's elected president. It's a, a chain of information. And we understand now from Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, that the Russians had an enormous political and propaganda warfare campaign 
solely designed to push Donald Trump's agenda and and the anti-immigrant platform, anti-Black Lives Matter platform, anti-Hillary Clinton platform. They put their thumb on the scale. And then when they had the opportunity with the hacking the DNC, then they put their hand on the thumb <laughs> and they, it, it, they chose the president of the United States. But so, but here's the thing that's it's troubling. So we, we, we have that and we have the, you know, an administration that clearly it, all of the evidence strongly suggests that they, they got elected in part through an, a, a planned action, which they were involved in part of through with the Russian government. But then you so you have the fact that Congress is unwilling to really challenge him on that. But then the the more topical point at this moment is you have this very almost strange strange lobbying uh, administrations when their approach to North Korea, and and you have a very dangerous. You, you not only is he, he is, was he not elected legitimately, but he's this. He's frankly put our country in a, in, a, in a state of danger that we haven't been in since the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, and I say this all the time on, on media, that if if the election had gone the way that the polls were showing, I mean, five-point lead suddenly dissipated down to 77,000 people in three counties that we're now finding out was heavily flooded with Russian propaganda. Um, we would be arguing about whether we get three months paid family leave when we have a baby or six months paid family leave when right. we have a baby. Now we're arguing, we're, we're actually discussing the viability of atomic war with North Korea. I mean, this, as you said, strange lovian, <laughs> only in the sense that, you know, it's not a question of whether Donald, you know, Donald Trump is Dr. Strangelove or General Jack T. Ripper who orders the attack, right? <laughs> or Slim Pickens at the end, but yeah. <laughs> No, we're all going to be slim pickings. The <laughs> point is, we're going to be riding those bombs down. The point is, is that General Ripper launched that attack because of fluoridation of water. Right. <laughs> That's how it Sacred feels today. Sacred bodily fluids, yeah. Right. Um, you know how it feels today with, with regards to how this administration is being run. But starting off with the fact that they apparently Donald Trump in some way, shape or form is clearly indebted to Vladimir Putin. And he will not like any other president in the history of this country, he will not criticize an adversary. And it's, you know, the best way to put it is, you know, a, a, a gambling addict never insults his bookie. Right. So there needs to be clarity as to why, why they are thwarting every bit of investigation to find out, whether this campaign was that election was hacked and they, it was hacked. They hacked the mindset of the American public. They didn't actually hack the votes maybe, but you know, is there an enemy action? Is there, is there a, a series of coincidences that took a lot of planning that they wish to hide? And we here's, need to know that or this democracy will crumble. Here's what alarms me is that we had in the last election, we, the system was, we had, um, one, we had evidence that this was occurring. Two, we had um, the entire national security, for the most part, you know, the national security apparatus of the Republican Party, you know, past secretaries of defense, secretaries of state, um, homeland security secretaries, uh, by and large, refused to endorse Trump. The past joint council of economic advisors, not one of them, 
of the under Republican presidents refused to endorse Trump. You had conservative newspapers like the Houston Chronicle that had never endorsed a Democrat endorsing Hillary and saying that Trump was a threat to the republic. So you had you know, mm-hmm. the, the system blinking red. He still gets elected. Okay, so mm-hmm. he he gets elected and he he presides as president as an erratic and very dangerous man, and you have. People, you know, a Jeff Flake and you know Senator Corker, you know, they're the exception. No one is saying anything. The system is still blinking red, and nothing has happened. And my concern is, you have the national security apparatus, you have the trained, you know, the military and the intelligence community. You will they just sit by? I mean, I'm concerned that this could trigger them uh, make a choice between you know respect for the Constitution or you know, preservation of the country. Well, and once you go down I, that I path, I don't really want to. I don't really want to go down that path. All I can say is this: um, John Brennan, former director of the CIA, and and, and and has said that this is quite possibly the greatest intelligence operation in the history of the world. Wow! This will, this will be far greater than the Trojan horse, right? Uh, or to put it in better ways, as Trevor Noah said, it was we elected a guy who was running like the Manchurian candidate on the platform of he's the Manchurian candidate. Right. <laughs> no, um, the system is, is beyond blinking red. The entire thing, you know, is on fire where the, we're all now the proverbial little dog in the room saying I'm fine. Um, but that being said, we still have to maintain, you know, the, the structure and dignity of, of the constitution. The question is when will the, the, the deceiver break? And I think that the, the, I think Jeff Flick's, resignation is a sign that, and I wonder if he's actually been tipped off, you know, him and John McCain are pretty close, but is it a sign that they are aware that this thing is going to end up with the word treason being used rhetorically and liberally? And if it does, it's the end of the Republican party. They've signed on, they've signed on to, to believing that it is a hoax. And it would literally be like, post 9-11, everybody ignoring what they saw with their own eyes because they could get a tax break out of it or they could get, uh, you know, somebody elected into office. And it would be the, the first step of the crumbling of American democracy, which is the objective of Vladimir Putin. Exactly. He, his, his philosopher, Alexander Dugin, uh, who, who is a former communist, who believes that American liberal democracy is the, is the threat to global stability and it should be replaced with an axis of autocracies. Uh, uh, you know, this entire uh, a, a linear chain of dictatorships from the United States to France to, to other parts of Europe, that they would operate together on a capitalist system. That actually is the definition of fascism, right? right. As Mussolini defined it, a, a corporate uh, dictatorship of the corporate right. And Putin... And his philosophers, his oligarchs, they believe in this. And they now believe that they have established the second pillar of this axis of autocracy by electing Donald Trump. Marine Le Pen in France, hoping that she would dissolve the European Union and and break up NATO. And these are not going to stop. They have a philosophy. And it's based, rooted in the love of money. And American democracy is the only obstacle stopping this. And in fact, you see Trump is thwarted by laws. Well, you know, he, it's, it's a very short step to stop, you know, complying with laws like the Russian sanctions bill.
Right. And yes, exactly. Laws have to be carried out. What was it President Jackson said about a Supreme Court decision? Um, how many divisions do they have? And, and yeah. you know, that's that's the problem. And and also, I'm the son of a World War II. My, my father flew um, over 20 missions in Europe. And you see this, what we built over in the post-war era, this whole structure, NATO, you know, the, the free trading system, just multilateralism. And the you know, respect for the rule of law, and in, in a matter of nine months, it's all in jeopardy. And, and yeah, it's just it's, astounding. You know, globalization, the word that I constantly hear from detractors, we invented globalization with American production in World War II. Every part of this globe was touched by American spam or American bombers or American cars. Everything in the post-World War II era was a desire to have what America had. And now we have decided, you know, on the basis of this election, with the assistance of Russia, who loves this, they love that the United States is surrendering the global market to where now Russia can step up from number three superpower to be number two behind China. And where it's based on, you know, the money of a few oligarchs. It's just absolutely amazing. And, you know, as a person who was born and raised in Philadelphia, you know, I take it very personally that people are taking shots at what was formed here in this great city. And the Russians have, have taken their shot. They've got their man. And now we are all going to have to answer for it. Well, that's a good way to end it. I know you have a hard stop. But thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And good luck tonight at the World Affairs Council. And um, look forward to talking to you again. It's my pleasure. Thank you. We're going to take a break. We come back. You listen to more Cyber Law and Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. 
Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. And we're back, and as I mentioned, and as usual, uh, information about the book is in our show notes, which are available at CyberLawRadio.wordpress.com. That includes information on Malcolm, the book, and his appearance at the Miami Book Fair, which will be... On Sunday, November 19th at 4.30, um, he's one of the featured speakers there. Uh, we have information in addition on you can, how, where you can reach him, Malcolm Nance on Twitter. And we also have uh, a photo of him from both his Twitter and um, YouTube feed that uh, I think Edris Elba would probably be jealous of as well. But any event, we, we also have links in the show notes to a timeline of the Russian hacking um, issue, as well as it, which includes the full uh, declassified report on that was released by the intelligence community in January. In addition, we also have uh, a link to our full show that we did on Hamilton 68 and securing democracy. As you may recall, we, we previously had Laura Rosenberger and Jamie Fly from the German Marshall Fund's Alliance for Securing Democracy to discuss Hamilton 68, which is a real-time dashboard that provides a near-real-time look at Russian propaganda efforts and dif- disinformation efforts online. Um, it gets its name from Federalist Paper Number 68, in which Alexander Hamilton discussed how to prevent foreign meddling and influence in America's electoral process. And um, we talked about how they identified you know, Russian accounts on Twitter. And so you can see in real time what issues, what, you know, what propaganda is being pushed uh, at, at, as we speak. So we're going to provide a, some flavor of our discussion with Laura and Jamie um, from just a few weeks ago on that. And I think you put it together and, and at least there's something being done to identify what is going to be, be happening in as we get closer to 2018. But we, we saw, you know, clearly it, the evidence is clear. Um, there was a, a involvement in a wide-scale attack on our election system in 2016. They did it in France. They tried to do it in Germany, and they're going to try to do it here in 2018. And as of right now, there's very little being done to stop it. Take a listen, and this is going to be this is going to be an issue we'll be covering through 2018. Now, one one question I grapple with in this is that a defining moment in you know, Russian or or Soviet history is World War II and the fact that they were invaded and almost conquered by a right wing nationalist government. And here they are, you know, after the, the millions of deaths, lives lost in World War II. Here they are, you know, half a century later, they are promoting right-wing nationalist governments in in Europe and elsewhere. And is that just historic amnesia, or is just that is that just consistent with the chaos theory? So 
I think one thing that's important to bear in mind is that while certainly at the moment Russia seems to be jumping on a sort of right-wing, far-right nationalist um, populist movement that is happening across Europe, in the United States, in fact, what the, what the Kremlin is doing is supporting extremists parties and individuals on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, I don't believe that this is ideological for Russia. Um, this is about um, the best way for them to, to sow chaos and to undermine institutions and strengthening the extremes, fanning the flames of division, fueling um, fueling uh, fighting, uh, whether that's within parties or between, is something that they have become very good at and are doing um, extensively across both Europe and the United States. So I think the most visible examples are certainly their support for far-right nationalist parties, and I think that that's, again, them kind of jumping on what is a trend already occurring. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's really important to note that they also do support extremists on the ends of the political spectrum. And in, in 2006 yeah, in the U.S. I was Go just going to add to that. I mean, I think the, uh, it's a very important point because I, I think what we've seen, especially if you look at the dashboard, is that they are equal opportunity in terms of uh, who they target, uh, what, which fringe, the left or right, that they amplify on any given day. Um, They're just trying to sow chaos. And it's not even just in the... Uh, disinformation space or uh, the messaging that they're pushing, you even see that in their broader foreign policy. I mean, they'll work with the Afghan government, for instance, but then Russians will covertly fund the Taliban or provide weapons on occasion. And um, so it's consistent with how they, they operate uh, in, in other spheres as well. So let's jump into Hamilton. Um, how does Hamilton work? I mean, there's a certain methodology you have for um, tracking you people's accounts to include in the dashboard. Why don't you walk us through that? So the team of researchers that we are working with um, who, who actually put the dashboard together have been tracking Russian influence operation networks on Twitter and elsewhere for more than three years. And um, what they have built here is a dashboard that monitors the content being driven by these networks. The the way that they have divided it up is, is into sort of three types of accounts that are promoting Russian influence online and that are being tracked by the dashboard. The first is attributed accounts that clearly state they are pro-Russian or affiliated with the Russian government. The second is accounts that may include both bots and humans um, that are run by troll factories, which many people may have heard about um, in Russia or elsewhere. And then the third set of accounts being tracked are run by people who um, amplify pro-Russian themes, either knowingly or unknowingly, after being influenced by the other efforts from the other two categories. So the network is, um, I think it's important to remember that, you know, sometimes people talk about this in very simplistic terms, that this is all bots. Um, that's not really the case. Um, there are certainly bots that help with the amplification efforts, but there are humans in this process. Um, some are sort of, some of the accounts are cyborgs, some of them are just straight up trolls um, that help to guide the messaging that the network is driving. Then identify those accounts and do what? So 
what the dashboard does is basically seek to expose the messaging that and the themes that Russian influence operations are trying to drive. And as Jamie was saying earlier, a lot of what we see isn't actually content that's related to Russia at all. A lot of it is simply seeking to fan the flames of division, um, sow and exploit them in the U.S. context. Um, you know, we have seen things, um, some of the things that that have been particularly notable on the dashboard have been, for instance, when there was an effort, a social media campaign around um, National Security Advisor McMaster and some efforts to try to get him fired. Um, what we saw was that the the Russian influence networks actually started promoting that hashtag and uh, stories related to the effort to undermine General McMaster. And in that instance, it's important to note, you know, as well, that this isn't just about fake news. That was an effort actually that started in the United States that the Russian networks um, determined was something that was in their advantage to, um, you know, to promote, to try to amplify, get greater activity behind that campaign. And so they jumped on it and helped to get it um, to trend at the point that it did. And I'm looking at the dashboard now, and it has uh, your top themes. And um, and by the mm-hmm. way, the dashboard's available at dashboard.securingdemocracy.org. And um, Hamilton 68 tracking Russian influence on Twitter. And you list the top themes. And um, for it's a one week period, it looks like August 28th through September 4th. And the 68 stories were among the top um, of them. 25% have a primary theme of anti-Americanism. Is that that consistent? It changes over time depending on what the messages are and the key things they are uh, that they are picking up at different times. Um, but I think certainly, um, you know, one of the things we have seen over time is again this this attempt to um, to undermine faith in institutions. And so, what you see in what's uh, what's been trending recently, um, some of these are aimed at sort of. Um, criticizing the State Department, the CIA, um, the D.C. establishment, the deep state. These are all efforts to undermine our institutions, to undermine trust in those institutions, um, and to undermine people's faith in government. And again, that goes back to the, to the chaos theory. Now, Jamie may want to add on this point. Yeah, the, the one thing I just note of the most recent themes, I think, um, just having watched this in the last few months, the last week was a little bit abnormal compared to prior months in that a lot of the themes in the last week were actually more traditional kind of anti-U.S., pro-Russian stories, mainly because of the diplomatic dispute about uh, closure of Russian facilities here in the U.S. And so I think the dashboard highlighted a lot of the more overt uh, pro-Russian messaging, getting out their side of the story, criticizing the way in which the State Department and the FBI handled the closure of their facilities. Um, Whereas over the last several months, a lot of the stories were uh, more focused on American politics uh, and less focused on things that were directly relevant to to the bilateral U.S.-Russian relationship. You cite the fact that the former director of national intelligence, Clapper, has warned that Russia has already started to prep the battlefield for 2018, and, and we're still debating whether or not they were involved in 2016. 
And through the, your platform, you've one of the things you discovered is that um, they have been active on issues such as Charlottesville, including um, using uh, bots to promote and share extremist right-wing tweets and disinformation, including the fact that the, uh, the, the allegation that George Soros was paying all the protesters at Charlottesville. Can you talk about that? Yeah, what what we saw after Charlottesville was quite interesting because in the immediate aftermath of Charlottesville, we really didn't see much content in this network that was directly related. There were little blips and a few things that would come and go, but it seemed like it took a few days for the network to kind of get their messaging in order and figure out what they wanted to drive. This is not all that uncommon when there are unexpected developments and events that the networks kind of need to think through and uh, they kind of have a strategic pause. And in that time period, they'll just promote their sort of, you know, evergreen content. But after a few days, we started to see a lot of the content that you mentioned, whether that is material going after George Soros, which is something we've seen uh, the Russians do in a number of different contexts, whether that was um, promoting uh, material that was aimed at describing Antifa as a terrorist organization. In that instance, that actually started from an official Russia Today RT story that the networks then promoted. And so we saw in that instance the theme go from an overt messaging effort from RT to a covert amplification effort through the broader information operations networks as they promoted this White House petition to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. I think the thing that's important to, again, note in the Charlottesville context is this was, again, an opportunity for these uh, Russian information operations to really um, amp up and and press the themes about um, division in the United States, really seek to fan those flames of extremism. Um, we even saw some other odd things happening in the aftermath of Charlottesville in terms of some of the connections between um, various neo-Nazi um, entities and, um, and, you know, Russia, in one instance, even um, the Daily Stormer website, um, when it got kicked off of of um, its its host here in the United States, briefly re-registering in Russia before um, before its DNS server um, was was uh, denied to them. Um, so I think again, it's it's really interesting to see how how in that instance the Kremlin kind of jumped on this opportunity uh, to to fan the the flames of division. Jamie. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the fundamental challenge is we're debating kind of uh, what the level of Russian involvement was in the actual election last year, and the administration and the president have tried to spin that a certain way to discredit those who raised this uh, question by claiming that uh, people are saying that President Trump was Ill is illegitimate or things like that. That's not what this is about. I think what we're seeing and trying to highlight uh, is a much deeper problem. The Russians are not just getting involved in our democracy every two or four years to influence an election. They are uh, in our democracy on a daily basis right now, trying to influence what Americans read, how they think about uh, their politics and about their representatives. And uh, that, I would argue, is even much more dangerous than uh, the very real threat as well that we face 
with the actual elections infrastructure. Um, but this is a much deeper problem than just making sure that as we have political campaigns that we keep foreign interference uh, out uh, completely. It's, it's a broader problem about how we think about uh, politics, how we as Americans debate these issues, and just being aware that there are other actors, including foreign governments out there, who are trying to influence our political conversations. It, it seems that maybe an appropriate analogy is is one of a you know a, a shooter in a crime scene, and it seems that the United States is going to that crime scene, seeing the body. And saying, okay, let's take a look at what happened. Let's not jump to any conclusions. And, you know, dum-de-dum-de-dum. And ignoring the fact that it's an active crime scene. The shooter's still out there. And the shooter's still shooting. And, you know, they're they're whistling Dixie while they um, take their time trying to figure out what, if anything, happened to that first victim. The other victims are being racked up. Yeah, I, I would argue I think we're going to have to steal that. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. I would argue it's even more dangerous than that, though, in that the sense uh, part of the problem right now is we have a portion of both the public and even elites here in D.C. and policymakers who won't even admit that a crime took place originally. Um, and so some of some of the debate is actually bogged down in whether you even have a victim uh, and we have right. to overcome that initial hurdle. If, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. There you go. Say something. The. Um, why is that? I mean, why? I mean, why is that so hard to come to? Is just just because the where that might lead? Yeah, I think uh, some of it is uh, a valid concern that this uh, is being used by both sides uh, to advance a particular political agenda. Um, as with almost every issue right now that's debated in Congress uh, or in the broader public, uh, you know, it's hard to form bipartisan agreement on just about anything. Right. Um, so that's just a, a, a general factor that makes progress on this issue difficult. I will say we've formed a, uh, a high caliber bipartisan advisory council filled with people who have extensive experience uh, serving in uh, administrations of both parties. We've seen also on some aspects of this issue, like securing our elections infrastructure, uh, a lot of bipartisan agreement about that challenge and about the importance of prioritizing some of those efforts. So I, I think we, we are optimistic that there are some aspects of this problem that are receiving uh, increased attention um, in, in a bipartisan manner, but uh, there is still a major hurdle to overcome just to convince many in, in uh, the broader public, I'd argue especially, and this is a Republican on the right, that there there is even uh, a challenge posed by Russia right now. And just, just and for I, this, I just go ahead, Laura. That. I was just going to add to that maybe what you were going to say, which is, in fact, that that Jamie and I ourselves represent this bipartisanship in which we are approaching this. Um, Both of us have worked extensively in the national security fields. Um, I um, part of my experience in past was serving as Hillary Clinton's foreign policy advisor. Um, Jamie served as Marco Rubio's foreign policy advisor. Um, And there's a whole host of issues on which Jamie and I wouldn't agree. Um, But one thing that we believe is that our 
our democracy is a is a transcendent issue. Um, that it's absolutely a, a national security concern if our democracy is under threat. Um, and and for me as well, um, and I think Jamie shares this. I, I think that it's it's of strategic importance that we respond to these threats in a bipartisan way because, um, in fact, given everything we've already talked about with the way that Russia tries to sow and exploit divisions and that so much of their strategy is based on that, in fact, um, the more we respond to this um, activity in a partisan way, it frankly plays into the Russian strategy. And so I think bipartisanship on this issue is absolutely essential. So that concludes our a special edition of Cyberlaw Business Report. I want to thank Mary Bookfer again for making Malcolm Nance available, and I hope you enjoyed the uh, the excerpt from Lauren Rosenberg and Jamie Fly on Hamilton 68. Um, we'll be back with another edition of Cyberlaw Business Report right here on WebmasterRadio.fm. Check us out at Internet Law Center, InternetLawCenter.net. As usual, check out our show notes, CyberlawRadio.wordpress.com, and check us out on Twitter at CyberlawRadio. Be safe. We'll see you next week. This is Ben Kelly from Santa Monica saying thanks again. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.